fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Final try Fantasy fullback dive is thrilled to welcome back now for the fourth time senior NFL draft analyst for the Draft Network and co-host of the Locked On NFL Draft podcast, Mr. Trevor Sikama at Tampa Bay Trey. Thanks so much for joining again, man. How you doing today? Dude, it's 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 awesome to be on with you once again. I'm not going to lie. I haven't thought a lot about fantasy football up to this point. I've been, th- I've been like recapping the draft class and all that kinds of stuff, but when you DM me and you're like, hey, you want to come on? I was like, yeah, absolutely. And I started researching these questions that you had for me. And I, I like it got me super excited yes. like about the fantasy aspect of this upcoming season. And so it's great to be with you, man. This was like my moment. Every year I have a moment that's like, all right, now I'm turning the page. Now I'm getting really into fantasy football. And this was this moment for me, so I'm I'm glad to be on. I'm happy to help provide that moment, and like I, it's been a weird off season because usually you're so used to great news coming out and training camp and all that right, stuff. Yeah, and, and for me, yesterday was kind of that moment too with the the Damian Williams just opting out out of nowhere. So I mean, yep. I know this, and just to preview the the agenda here, we're going to be breaking down the rookie wide receivers here. That's the focus. But holy shit, I mean, Clyde Edwards Hilaire now with no Damian Williams in front of him. I guess yeah. before we get into the rookie receivers. And this is off script completely, but what do you think he's just going to light it up there in Kansas City? Uh, I this will not be the last time I bring up Clyde Edwards Elaire's name. I'll I'll just kind of say that I'm super excited for him. He was my RB one coming out of a very talented running back class. Mm. And for him to go to the Kansas City Chiefs, I mean, I already thought it was a match made in heaven. Now. I don't want to give anything away because there's some questions at the end, some rapid yep. fire questions we're going to go through that I'm going to bring his name up. But uh, I'm excited to stay to, to say the least. It's weird. I know we were going to like already kind of get into this situation with like COVID-19 and the season coming up. And it's really weird. And you don't want to be too excited, right? Because it's like yeah. the reason why we even bring up this question is because of unfortunate situations that Damian Williams is now opting out. And so it's like it's kind of a bummer how all this yeah. stuff is is coming to be but in that sense we're at this point where a lot of new names are gonna get these opportunities to make a name for themselves this season that they weren't gonna have previously so where it sucks why we're here it's definitely Mm -hmm. a chance for some of these guys that we weren't gonna get to hear their names or they weren't gonna get the chances they were before it's a good opportunity for them I know it's so hard to like you know not get sentimental about it because you do feel for the people opting out and and the fact that they yeah. can't play you know the passion there. But at the end of the day, you know points are points on my fantasy team. I hate to sound it's like true. a scumbag in that sense, but it's it is the truth. And as you're saying, there's going to be a lot of guys stepping into that. I guess we just dive in right there as you previewed you know COVID nineteen and the the impact on rookies. No OTAs, no mini camps, no yeah. type of preseason. How worried are you guys for their ability to make an immediate impact just in general here? Well, it's going to be tough. And I think, you know, those those draft fits that we talk about, like on draft night, like, oh, I really like this guy because his skill set works really well with this team. A lot of that is based off of what we have seen the previous season. Mm -hmm. And we're not sure exactly what new wrinkles were going to happen in 2019 or 2020. We know that coaches, offensive coaches, they've always got something up their sleeve. You know, like they've been scheming over the summer. They're ready to introduce a new position that they're really looking to emphasize and things like that. So when we talk about scheme fits, we look at what a team was doing in the previous season to say, okay, this guy complements what they were looking for in this regard. Sometimes it's a one-on-one thing. Like sometimes it really works out. Other times you're looking for emphasis players. I mean, like like take Debo Samuel last year. We all knew that right. Debo Samuel was really versatile, but the fact that he got in with Kyle Shanahan and Shanahan was able to emphasize him in really unique ways that nobody really saw coming the amount of versatility they were going to have with Debo Samuel. It's kind of it's kind of with that example. And so with no mini camps, with no OTAs, it's going to be a lot harder for guys to just really step in right away. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think that those draft night fits that you talked about a couple of months ago, those are going to mean a lot more this year than in years past because you're not going to have as much time to get that chemistry down to really acclimate with what's going on. Instead, you're going to have to get what a guy does really well 
and just plug them in right away. And some guys that that'll be advantageous for other guys. It might take a little bit longer. So as we go through this season and we see like, I feel like there's going to be more rookie. I don't want to say like rookie slumps, but maybe the rookie numbers won't be as good as they have been in the past. But of those guys that are succeeding right away, take them aside and the players that that you just need to be more patient with after that, if that makes any sense. It makes total sense. And that's kind of what we're going to be looking to break down here is is how do these guys fit? What skill sets? What are their strengths? And, you know, which ones of them are going to be lined up for an immediate role, whether they're going to be ready for it or not, whether they slump at the beginning or not. That's going to be kind of the goal here with these rookie receivers. And that's kind of the toughest position, right? Like running backs is kind of sometimes plug and play. Jonathan Taylor knows how to read blocks he's going to be behind one of the best lines like that position I'm not overly worried about but receivers building the rapport getting the whole complex playbooks down and that could be you know a little trickier but ultimately you say they fit the scheme and they had a clear target in mind Kyle Shanahan run after the catch things like that then we could still see some some nice translation and find some good values because you're seeing I know you're just getting uh, into the fantasy game but you're seeing rookies drastically fall in rankings right now and there's still some really good talent like you we'll we'll get into the players and where they're falling to as we go here but man Mm -hmm. I I think it's presenting some nice buying opportunities to be honest uh, especially with the ones that are going to fit really well in that sense just for read draft not for dynasty right now so just this strange year uh you know this was could be a slow start there's still some that could fit in really well as you highlighted so if you were going to kind of make a top five eight whatever list you want to cap it off how would you kind of and we'll dive into them you don't have to break them down quite yet but how would you kind of rank these guys for your redraft fantasy rankings right now Okay, I'll do you better. I got 10 guys. I oh, top yeah. 10, So I came up with a top 10. You said top five. I went with the top 10 because there's guys that I definitely want to talk about. Even better. So I'll go 10 to 1. I won't explain too much because, like you said, we'll dive into them in a sec. But 10, I got Brandon Ayuk. 9, I got T. Higgins. 8, I got Michael Pittman Jr. 7, I have Brian Edwards. 6, Henry Ruggs. 5, J- Justin Jefferson. 4, Jalen Rager. 3, LaVisca Chenault. 2, C.D. Oh. Lamb. 1, Jerry Judy. So, like, that's how I would break them up. Wow. So, I mean, that, there's definitely some names we have to uh, make sure we hit there. Um, yes. Uh, wow. That, that, that's, a, that's an exciting list. Does that change at all for you dynasty-wise? I know that was redraft, like, immediate impact. Are there any guys you would have had significantly higher or lower if you're looking just more longer-term format? Um, I think I'd pro- – maybe, like, for dynasty, I might have – like Chase Claypool might sneak in there because he's a bigger guy and Pittsburgh doesn't exactly have his skill set right now. So if he succeeds well, that's an easy opportunity for him to take that and run with it. Antonio Gandy-Golden in Washington, now that Kelvin Harmon is down, they're going to need mm. a guy to show up as kind of like a true X, like that red zone kind of threat. Gandy-Golden could be that guy. So that might be – if he gets early playing time and he succeeds really well, that might be something that uh, that plays at his advantage. I'll tell you, T. Higgins is probably another one because you figure A.J. Green, it's his last year there. I know they got Auden Tate, but still, they invest a higher draft capital in T. Higgins. If A.J. Green is out, they probably want T. Higgins to become that A.J. Green guy for Joe Burrow. So I feel like he might go up a little bit. As for the other guys, I mean, they're pretty high, and it would just depend on, you know, like CeeDee Lamb, I feel like could be a wide receiver one on a lot of different teams, but... Amari's going to be there for the foreseeable future. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not sure how much, you know, they'll have enough to make it work, but I don't know how much like higher I would put CeeDee Lamb, like if I would put him as my one in that situation. So those are probably the guys that come to my head immediately that I might move a little bit higher because of their situations. Honestly, though, it really wouldn't change too much because of what we talked about earlier. There's just a lot of uncertainty right now and exactly how it's going to shake out. 100%. 100%. So in that sense, we're just going to start diving in. I kind of, I always want to adjust it a little bit based on your rankings, but we'll go with what we have here. I kind of just listed the guys in the order they were drafted sure. for now. And yeah. we're not going to be able to hit every name most likely because there was 13 taken just in the first two rounds alone. Um, 
And so while we get to these guys, just kind of thinking about what they do bring to the table, their strengths, what they're going to bring to these offenses, mm-hmm. and then the, the short and long-term impact is going to be kind of the general gist of every question here. Um, we'll start at the top. Henry Ruggs, kind of surprising as the first wide receiver, and Oakland was among the most wide receiver needy teams. Third lowest with only 211 wide receiver targets. Second lowest in wide receiver target share at 43%. So as expected, they go at 12. Just a little surprising that it was Henry Ruggs and not some of the other guys most people had higher. So, yeah. you know, why do you think that was the case and how do you think he's going to fit in here short and long term? So of the three wide receivers that were kind of talked about as who could be wide receiver one, there was mm-hmm. Henry Ruggs, there was Jerry Judy, and there was CeeDee Lamb. I had Henry Ruggs as my wide receiver three, but I was as transparent as it could be that like if you had Henry Ruggs at wide receiver one, I'd, I'd barely argue with you. If you had CeeDee Lamb as our wide receiver one, I barely argue with you. The reason why I had Jerry Judy as my wide receiver one is because the skill set that he offers right away will win in the NFL. Like his floor is so unbelievably high unless he somehow just forgets how to catch a football. You know, like the way that he wins, it's automatic. Like this is automatic success in the NFL. And I think he's got the long speed and the uh, deep ball experience to also bring that to the table. That's why I had him as uh, as my wide receiver one. But in terms of Henry Ruggs, him going number 12 to – the Raiders, I almost said Oakland, Las Vegas. It, it makes sense when you look back at what both Mike Mayock and John Gruden were saying in the offseason. We have to get more dynamic. Like they were like, we need more dynamic weapons in the passing game. And Henry Ruggs is a true top receiver. I, I want to make that clear, too, because a lot of people were like, oh, you know, he's the speed guy. He's John Ross. He's going to flame out. You know, like he might be a, like a Will Fuller type where he's just all speed. And once he gets hurt or once physicality comes, he's not going to be able to take it, blah, 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 which I don't think is true of Will Fuller. Just wanted to make that uh, clear. <laughs> but Henry Ruggs presents like top tier wide receiver abilities as a guy who could do it all. Like he could catch through traffic. He's a tough son of a gun. He, you know, he, he's, he's smaller of a wide receiver, but I think that he could take on, you talked about target share a little bit there. It's not just this guy that they're going to have run go routes and that's it. Now, mm-hmm. Derek Carr, according to football outsiders had, he was about a middle of the pack deep ball accuracy thrower. He was just below 50%. I think he was at 47. And so that's kind of encouraging. You hope it's a little bit better with rugs even there, but all that to say, I think it might take a little bit longer for rugs to produce the way that he could, depending on how they play him. If they just want this guy to be like a deep ball specialist for them to really stretch the field, it might take some time for him and Derek Carr to really get it together. Like that kind of his game might not show up until year two or year three. So it might not be something as a rookie that we see right away with Henry Ruggs. And that's why I have him lower on my redraft rankings. But like in dynasty rankings, I could see him being a guy that's, you know, for sure in my top five or something like that, because I know how you use him. And so I think he's going to be the primary target getter for the Raiders. It just depends where those targets are coming from, how they're manufacturing them for him. Because if they want him them to be more deep ball based, you could do that. He's got the speed. He's got the separation. He knows how to do it. But we all know that sometimes takes a little bit more chemistry to get down. So that's kind of my thoughts on Henry Ruggs going into his first year. Man, I, I do hope they manufacture those touches much more efficiently than just a deep artist. As you're saying, he's he's fully capable of it. And Gruden, before last year, I mean, he had a long, long track record before he kind of came back into the league of mm-hmm. just peppering one guy, Tim Brown, Keyshawn Johnson, Keenan McCardell, Joey Galloway, Antonio Joey Bryan. Galloway was the big one. I remember that one. Yeah. Man. I mean, he, he was peppering these guys. I, I think it was like 12 straight years or all 11 straight seasons. I have it right here. All of them went 1,000 yards or more. So, I mean, if that role, oh, when go. that role happens, you know, Ruggs is equipped for it. Who knows if it will be immediate. Uh, you know, they were reluctant to take deep shots last year. But, man, it could be a thing of beauty if that's the case. And you mentioned Jerry Judy, your number one guy, teammate there. Uh mm-hmm. You know, the next one off the board lands in Denver. They have Cortland Sutton, a nice wide receiver who really took a a great step last year. But still, there was really no one behind Sutton that was a clear-cut guy to be in that lineup. So it seems like a pretty glove-like fit. You know, you already mentioned some things you love about Judy. So in addition to that, you know, how do you think he's going to fit in Denver with that skill set he's bringing to the table? Yeah, again, I think that this works out so well for them. And you... You can tell from this past draft class that they had that their entire mission was to get 
weapons around Drew Locke. Like, yeah. they are all in on trying to allow Drew Locke to be as successful as possible, you know, because they uh, they, they draft Noah Fant high last year, and then they draft another tight end, which who has kind of a similar profile in Albert Okwebunam, right? And so, you know, they draft Jerry Judy. He's big time on separation. They also draft K.J. Hamler, who I know we're going to talk about in a little yeah. bit, who is a great separation kind of player. And so you have Sutton as that X guy on the outside. And you like that because he was the steady force. He was the big body. He was the guy you could go to. But Jerry Judy's an, a, another go-to option in a different way. I talked about his footwork and his route running being so precise and that being such a high floor in the NFL. That can be the best friend of Drew Locke who is coming into his sophomore year and you're trying to avoid that sophomore slump. We often talk about tight ends as the quote-unquote security blanket players of old. You know, that's, that's how it used to be uh, just a couple of years ago where these were the guys that – you had him come off the line of scrimmage. You had him run like a five-yard curl route or an out route or something like that. And after the quarterback went through maybe his first or second options, he could always dump it off to the tight end. And that was an easy completion. That could get yards. That could keep things going. Now you can do that with Jerry Judy. And since Noah Fant is so good at attacking the seam and getting vertical, you don't have to have a player like Noah Fant stay in and be that like security blanket kind of guy yeah. all the time. Now you can free up Noah Fant because of how reliable we think Jerry Judy is going to be with his route running, whether it's in the slot or to the outside. I mean, if you put Jerry Judy in the slot and you give this guy two-way goes, he's going to be cooking even the most experienced slot cornerbacks all day just because he mm -hmm. is so good at what he does. And so you talked about it being you know, a glove-like fit, him being able to come in right away. That's what I see too. I, Jerry Judy was not only my number one wide receiver, he's one of my number one fits in the entire NFL draft because of – how he is going to affect this offense and how he is going to open things up for Corlin Sutton, for Noah Fant, and for Drew Locke as he scans the field. I mean, you're painting a picture here of an offense that's going to be very tough to stop as long as Drew Locke can distribute that ball. Are you looking at Drew Locke as like a potential monster in fantasy if he can, with all these weapons around him? Or what do you think of Drew Locke? Is he going to be able to unlock all these guys? Yeah, look, I, I obviously love the live arm you know when i was mm. when he was coming out th through the nfl draft you loved that potential of him i'm not ready to do any predictions but i am ready to set the stage and kind of say like look it's on lock right now at this point I, I know this offense is young like like sutton's obviously in there judy and hamler are two guys who are rookies coming in okaway bunam's another rookie coming in noah fant is there uh it's it's just his second year They've got Melvin Gordon that's coming in. They've got Philip yeah. Lindsay, who they know they can lean on. The offensive line should be a little bit better. They added Lloyd Cushenberry, who I thought should have been drafted a lot sooner than what he was. Um, you're hoping Dalton Reisner rises to the occasion, full pun intended, and then Garrett Bowles stops committing so many penalties, right? All of that to say, when you ask for a Drew Lock prediction, the ceiling is about as high as Lock can take it, right? And yeah. that's, that was the whole point of, I think, what they were doing this offseason is that as much as Drew Lock can progress, they have the offensive blueprint to match him all the way. And so I don't know what we're going to see in Locke because he was a volatile player, right? I mean, he did have a fawn arm, but a dangerous arm, you know? Mm. And so that's what his narrative was coming into this season. And so I say all that to say, like, if Locke gets things under control, if the light really comes on for him, they've got the weapons around him for him to really succeed this season. I, I love the take. And he's also going at like quarterback 23, 24 right now in average draft position. So at that point, you know, you're looking yeah. around 13, 14. It's kind of one oh, of those, yeah. why not? Because if, if everything comes together, it, whether right. it can or not, we'll see. But that's one of those situations where, like you said, the ceiling is as high as he'll take it. That's pretty deadly, especially in a division, too, where it's shaping up to be some shootouts right there with the Chiefs, and, you know. And yeah, and, he, yeah, and he's he's he might be a great candidate depending on how your roster is. Like I know people don't always carry two quarterbacks depending on like how the league is. But if you typically in your league, however it is set up, get the stash a quarterback, yeah. then this might be a really great second half of the year QB. Like if you don't take a QB early and you take maybe like a mid round guy and then drew lock later, drew lock might be a player who 
after the first eight weeks of the season, it was a little bit of trial, for, trial and error for him. This mm. offense might catch fire in the final eight games of the season. So he's a guy to definitely look out for, I think. Excellent points all around. The next guy that came off the board, CeeDee Lamb, he was my personal favorite uh, wide mm. receiver entering this this class. And mm. I was shocked to see him fall all the way to 17 of the Cowboys, who were already a pretty juggernaut offense. They led the league in total yardage last year under Kellen Moore the first year there. Jerry Jones said he needed CPR. He was so excited to see him there. <laughs> Apparently they had him at like six overall, their number one wide receiver. Who knows if that's true or what, but still, it, it seems like they clearly love him and love his fit. So what do they love about him and what are your kind of expectations, even though it's a bit congested there, could he still kind of carve himself out a role that's useful in year one? Yeah, that's the big question. I know they ran with three wide receivers. Uh, what was it? 67% of the time. So 713 snaps. They were running with three wide receivers anyways. Now they just get to do that. But with CD Lynn, you know, like that's, right. that's pretty crazy. So uh, actually, I think combining all the personnel groupings that would have three wide receivers on the field, it was close to 70, maybe like 68. Yeah. 70, and, and Mike McCarthy, too, when he was in Green Bay, I think it was like 77 percent. He was always top three, like for every year he was there right. and, so, and that personnel. Yeah. You know, Cooper and Gallup, I thought, had awesome seasons last year. Mm. Obviously, they were big benefactors of Dak taking that next step and. You know, you said you were shocked that, that C.D. Lane made it to 17. So was Dallas, because this really yeah. probably shouldn't have been in the cards for them. Like mm-hmm. if Henry Ruggs or Jerry Judy were the ones who were on the board as the wide receiver three, I don't think they make this pick, but they make it because it's C.D. Lamb. And I think that they believe that he gives them full versatility to use any of those three guys however they want. Yeah. And that's such a weapon week in and week out. Like Cooper has enough route running ability to be played in the slot, right? C.D. Lamb has enough yards after catch ability to give him two-way goes, and it makes sense because you can get him the ball that way. Cooper's or Gallup is the same kind of guy who I think has been cross-trained a little bit there. I'm just worried that, like, I, all three of these guys are phenomenal, and obviously yeah. they had two 1,000-yard receivers last year, but when you think about how Zeke is in this offense too and you right. know that they're going to run the offense through Zeke, I just don't know if there are literally enough snaps to – appropriately get the ball to these guys as much as you would want for as good as they are. So mm. I think that CD lamb is going to have a, a good year. I think it's going to be an efficient year. I just don't really know what it's going to be yet. If it's another situation where however much they ask of CD lamb, he will be able to deliver for them. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, like right. if they decide that they want CD lamb to be the number two target getter on the team, I think you're going to get a great return on investment because he, mm. because he's a very talented player. But at the same time, you could see them in a sense go, okay, well, well, Gallup and and Cooper obviously have the they have the chemistry with Dak, so they're going to be the normal one and two, and C.D. Lamb's going to be more of the three rotational guy in his rookie year, and we'll see what happens his sophomore year. His sophomore year could really be the year where he takes the league by storm. I wouldn't bet on it being this year, just because I think it's going to be a lot of sorting out. You like the fact that they they're willing to go to three wide receiver sets. McCarthy there, I think, is a good fit. Um, but I'd just be hesitant on how much you're going to get for him because there's just so many mouths to feed in Dallas. I think that it's a great situation if you're drafting Dak Prescott early. Yeah. <laughs> but outside of that, the individual wide receivers, really outside of Amari Cooper, who I know they're going to force feed the ball to no matter what is their wide receiver one, it's really up in the air with those other two. That, that makes total sense. It just does seem like it is going to be one of those offenses, though, that doesn't really come off the field till points are on the board. Like, how yeah, do you defend yeah, that good. team? And I mean, as good as Dak was, the quarterback, too, in fantasy last year, as you said, like, there's I, I, 5,000 yard potential here. You know, we've seen some gems from Aaron Rodgers under McCarthy, so I, I'm with you there. It, it's tricky to figure out how it will all shake out, but I'm, I'm certainly looking at Dak as the, the guy that has to be on everybody's radar, the quarterback three in my rankings right now. Mm-hmm. Um, next up was Jalen Rager. Uh, kind of surprisingly, they pass on Justin Jefferson. So clearly they, they had something in mind when you had someone, you know, pretty different profiles. Last year, no wide receiver on that team topped 500 yards. 6.5 yards per attempt when targeted wide receivers was dead last in the NFL, as was 42% wide receiver target share. Uh, so, I mean, they clearly had a big need. And they go out and this is the one they, they choose. So why? what do you think was driving that choice? And what do you think he's going to be bringing to this offense? I think when everybody looked at Philly last season, they saw a group of pass catchers, tight ends included, with Ertz and Goddard that struggled to separate, you know, like whether it was Alshon, whether it was JJ Ortega, Whiteside, the two tight ends, like it was just, it was a bunch of guys 
who didn't really know how to separate. And that's not what Philly wants. That may be why all of us pegged Justin Jefferson as like a great spot for them because Justin Jefferson is a great route runner. He's a great natural separator. He can do that kinds of stuff. He's a slot player who I know pro football focus had him very high. He might've been their highest slot graded player or was it Tyler Johnson? One of the two. I know Jefferson (laughs) was up there either way. He's a guy that he really knows how to separate no matter what route he's running or no matter what alignment he's in. So a lot of people said like, Oh, okay, that's what Philly needs. What Philly wants is to be dynamic. Like, Mm. they want to be able to get the ball into speed players' hands. That's why they brought back Deshaun Jackson. That's why they still have him sticking around. That's why they drafted John Hightower in the later rounds. And, of course, that's also why they drafted Jalen Rager. Uh, They want to be able to get the ball in his hands and let magic happen, right? They want to be getting it to him early and often. The same thing with Deshaun Jackson. That's really what they want. So I think that when we watched the Eagles struggle last year, we looked at their struggles and we said, okay, based off of their struggles last season, here's the type of wide receiver that they would go for. And that's why mm-hmm. we pegged him for Justin Jefferson. In reality, it seems like the Eagles and their coaching staff went, we're taking this year, we're balling it up, we're throwing it away. Like, it's a, it, it, they want it to be an anomaly. They want the, the, the unfortunate injuries that happened throughout that team They don't even like that's not even what they were trying to be. And so the struggles that we saw from last season, I don't even think was ever really like in the cards for them. Like they didn't even Mm want to look like that. So they weren't going to take the weaknesses of an identity that they had last year that they never even wanted to be as a reason to to formulate a draft strategy. Instead, they just wanted to get faster. They wanted to get more dynamic. And Jalen Rager is a guy who you can get the ball to him in bubble screens, on quick slants, mesh routes across the middle, things like that. And you could just watch him work because he is so fast and he's kind of a complete receiver in that regard. He could stretch the field as well with his deep speed. So that's why I think they went with Jalen Rager as opposed to a Justin Jefferson. And look, if we get a, a healthy Carson Wentz and then, uh, a, a good offensive line in front yeah. of them, which Philly's been able to do over the last couple of years, and they stay healthy, which is the important part. I still think this has the chance to be one of the best offenses in the NFL. I think that that makes all total sense. I mean, you look at the last time they had like a genuine. It, it, I love the, just the take that it's you know yes he's a great fit himself, but also how much he elevates everyone else. You know, Justin Jefferson, a great talent, but might not have opened it up so well for the entire offense. You look sure. just a few seasons ago when they you know Tory Smith was their their lid lifter. They haven't had like a lid lifter, and Tory Smith is nothing that special. But that's when Carson Wentz was on that just insane MVP style pace. Just a couple seasons ago, 33 touchdowns in only 13 games. I mean, he was lighting it up. So just the way this whole offense could look and and operate at a completely different level. I mean, all the quotes from the GM since then have been, we want to take more vertical shots. We need to have that speed on the field. Like, I I do think I'm totally in agreement that it's going to be a much different offense. And the fact that Carson Wentz was the QB9 with just this kind of, you know, slow, you know, ho-hum, no separation. Again, no wide receiver getting over 500 yards and still quarterback nine I mean his ceiling is also insane and the, the path to playing time for Rager is pretty open you know Goodwin's now opted out yeah. right like he's opted out Alshon Jeffrey is probably going to start in the PUP so I mean who else is really in his way obviously Deshaun Jackson maybe JJ but like I don't know it, it seems to me like he's got a very clear path so I love the fit and I love like you again emphasized what it does to this whole offense it, it's going to be awesome to watch um, but the guy they passed up on Justin Jefferson he goes next the, the wide receiver needy Vikings gobble him up they had 47 and a half percent of their air yards up for grabs after Stefan Diggs left that was the second most in the league so how do you kind of expect this guy to fit in both early and down the road here with the Vikings yeah um it's got to be it well I think it's it's very tempting for everybody to say, like, oh, it's a one-in-one one out. You know, like, great yeah. <laughs> route runner in Stefan Diggs, great route runner in Justin Jefferson. That'll be super easy. Uh, if they were replacing Adam Thielen, I feel like it might be a little bit close to a one-in-one one out. But mm. Stefan Diggs attacks the deep portion of the field so well. You know, like, he was he was fourth in yards per reception last year, but he was second in yards per route run, I believe. I believe the only player who had more yards per route run was AJ Brown it, given some target criteria. And so he attacked the deep parts of the field very well. And that's what Stefan Diggs I think can do for an offense. Jefferson can do that too. 
you just don't want to like expect that out of a rookie. You know, like you you don't want to you you can't say oh one in one out. This is something that you're going to peg in here. I love the fit. You know, like I love. Jefferson being in Minnesota, getting to work with a heavy play action offense. I think he's going to be a, a, a best friend on the field, if you will, to Kirk Cousins in a rushing attack that's clearly going to lean on Dalvin Cook. Hopefully we get Dalvin Cook this year, depending on a holdout. But, yeah. you know, all that stuff to say, you know, him and Adam Thielen, I think is a really good one-two punch. You just never know with rookies. You know, it, it's going to be a different speed. LSU was on a different level than everybody they played last season. And mm-hmm. you're not sure – whether or not it was truly just because these guys' individual talent bases were on a different level than everybody else, or if it was just like as a whole, like the offense as a whole was running as a well-oiled machine better than everybody else, because we'll be able to see that pretty quickly in, in Justin Jefferson's tape. But in terms of what he does really well with his route running, with his ability to be a good two-way go player, I think he's going to fit right in in Minnesota. And I think he, you talked about path to playing time for Jalen Rager. Path to playing time for Justin Jefferson, I think, is is pretty clear as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it all makes sense. It all lines up. It's just a matter of how fast that one translates. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, the next guy that goes, and according to Kyle Shanahan, he was their top-ranked wide receiver. Who knows if that's actually true, but he trades up. He goes and gets his guy, shows that it, it was someone he clearly coveted. And now you also got Debo Samuel down. He could miss some regular season time, according to John yeah. Lynch, just this week. So without anybody else, Emmanuel Sanders is now gone. It's a pretty uninspiring depth chart. Talking about play, clear pass to playing time, I mean, that seems like a pretty clear one. Do you think AU could make an immediate impact here? Yeah, they clearly love him, right? Mm-hmm. And it makes sense why Shanahan and company would really love AU because this is a player who you, you can get the ball into his hands early. And he's a creator like he Mm. is great after the catch. He's dangerous when he's moving behind the lines of scrimmage. Um, He's a good ideal flanker type player like a Z guy. And those players are the ones that Shanahan loves to get his hands on. Debo Samuel was one of them last year because you can move him around so much. You can use him as a mismatch a lot. The key, though, is you can move him around when you have an X receiver that you can rely on. When you have a guy that you can place on the line of scrimmage to deal with the press coverage really well, which frees up the other guys, the Debo Samuels, the potentially Brandon Ayukes, to move around the line of scrimmage, to play in the slot, to play off the line, to not have to deal with press coverage. That's going to be what I think they miss the most Mm. with Emmanuel Sanders, because Sanders, I think, has been one of the most underrated wide receivers for a long time. And Sanders... For as speedy as he is, as much as he can attack deep down the field, as as nice of a route runner as he is, he's also a player that knows how to deal with press coverage, I think. And San Francisco, throughout the season, was afforded the luxury of not only playing a really good wide receiver like Emmanuel Sanders out on the field, but also as an X. So putting him on the line of scrimmage then could free them up to use Debo however they wanted. And when you give Kyle Shanahan ultimate creativity with a guy like Debo Samuel or even a guy like Brandon Ayuk, you're going to see the rewards. He's going to be able to put them in the right situations so and they're going to be able to get the most out of their talent as those creators after the catch and those gadget type players, those short yardage guys that they could take it for a mile. But you've got to have that X guy. Ayuk's not an X. He's str- <clears throat> at least not now. He struggled when he went up against good tight press coverage at Arizona State. So when he was drafted to San Francisco, it was kind of a two-sided thing. I get it. Because I know that Kyle Shanahan loves players like this, and especially for a player like Ayuk who can really stretch the field vertically, Shanahan's going to love this guy. But they still need next, whether it's like Jalen Hurd or whether you're putting George Kittle out wide and on the line of scrimmage or something like that. I think they really need a guy who can step up and play on the line of scrimmage and deal with press coverage to not only open up Brandon Ayuk, but also allow Devo Samuel to have a similar year that he did the year before. So when I talk about Brandon Ayuk, I like it, but it is a situation where I think that San Francisco is still figuring things out because they need that X guy to really unlock how good IU can be in this offense. 
That's a really interesting point where like the clear path to playing time might actually be a, a disadvantage here because it would be better right. to have a potential guy outside that, that draws right. all that. So that that is really intriguing. But if they can find that, the uh, I was looking up as you talked to, to illustrate just how good of a potential fit the after-the-catch skills would be. 54% of the yards in this offense came after the catch, uh, oh, which yeah. is that, that scheme, which is uh, you already knew, but just again, 54%, a pretty whopping number. And 710 yards of Brandon Ayukes came after the catch. Ayukes, sorry. Uh, after the catch, they're third among all draft eligible receivers, 378 of them after contact, which was the most. So, I mean, it, a lot of Debo Samuel shades, but yes, if, if he doesn't have that guy drawing the press, drawing that, uh, it could be deadly. I want, maybe Antonio Brown gets a call i mean that would be something i I, I don't know man because that was that was something too is that uh you know juju smith schuster he had his real big breakout year when they allowed him to play off the line of scrimmage and and that's you know when they had antonio brown on the team and when they had other guys who could play that exposition like it allowed them to use smith schuster in a lot of different ways and when antonio brown wasn't on the team it was a little bit different they still tried to do that as much as they could but without that player you know you could put in line at any time or on the line of scrimmage at any time. It just gets a little bit trickier. And so that's why it's, you know, Debo Samuel being down, Emmanuel Sanders not there. I know a lot of people are going to look at Brandon Ayuk and just say like, oh, targets, targets, targets. He's going to be the wide receiver one. He might be. But when I look at this 49ers depth chart, if Jalen Hurd doesn't come back from his injury to be mm. able to play that X role, I don't know who else plays the X because, you know, you got Trent Taylor, you got Dante Pettis, Kendrick Bourne, Chris Thompson, Travis Benjamin. These aren't X receivers. (laughs) And so it's it's just like I'm very intrigued to see how this is going to work out for them. Indeed, indeed. And that kind of wraps up the the round one, guys. Uh, I mean, so I had a few lined up here. Pittman, I know you like K.J. Hamler, but I Mm -hmm. I was sticking in my mind. I feel like you said LaVisca Chenault was, you know, what was he, three, four on your list? He was three. Oh, my goodness. So, I mean, we might might have to turn to him for a future question because that's clearly, you know, definitely above the consensus right now in terms of this rookie class. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you don't mind going off script a little bit, you know, what what do you like about LaVisca? Because Chenault landing in Jaguars, which is an offense that so many seem to be avoiding. You know, what what do you like about him there? I love the fact that they can use him anywhere. And as mm. of right now, yeah, I, I, DJ Chark obviously had a good season. I think that D.D. Westbrook's a good slot guy. Chris Conley's got the speed to him. But they don't have that, like, go-to offensive weapon. And, and mm. I think that that's what they're really searching for. LaVisca gives them the chance to have that. You know, I, obviously he was, he was recovering from the injury over – the course of the draft season. So I felt like that was, I felt like that knocked him a lot more than it should have for where he got drafted mm-hmm. in the second round. Because when you look at him, this is a strong receiver who can play on the outside. He could deal with press. He could play on the slot and he's a good route runner. He's a quick guy that could do what the two way goes. They played him in the backfield at running back. Some yeah. and they even used him at wildcat quarterback, right? This right. was the true X factor kind of player at Colorado. And if he's healthy, the Jaguars can use him however they want. And I, I I really do just see an opportunity for the Jaguars to use LaVisca Chenault in a variety of ways. And that's why, like, for fantasy purposes, like, when you get him, let's say, down in the red zone, right? this guy, become, this guy becomes their most valuable option easily. You know, unless, you know, Tyler Eifert becomes the Tyler Eifert that we all thought that Tyler Eifert was going to be, like, years <laughs> ago, you know, in the red zone. But if they don't, Shoot, you you put this guy in the backfield with Leonard Fournette. You could put him in the slot. You could put him as a, as a running back coming mm. out of the backfield against a, a mismatched linebacker in the red zone. You could put him out on the end with a safety that's uncomfortable covering in the in the red zone. And so, all of those reasons, the skills that he's got such an all around game, and he's not one of those players that I look at where, like he's a he's he knows a lot of things, but he's a master of none. I, I the the phrase escapes me right now. That's not really how I see LaVisca mm-hmm. Chenault. I see him as a guy who can truly contribute at a variety of different spots in an offense that's looking for a desperate, like desperately looking for a playmaker that they can go to no matter what the situation is. I think Chark is good, but he's not a, like a situation versatile guy you could go to no matter what. Really Chenault intriguing. I, I like it. That I mean, very compelling case. Certainly someone who I'm probably a little lower on in my, my rankings, and for no reason other than I haven't been paying attention because he's in Jacksonville. But, 
man, that's that's a that's a great case right there. I I, I gotta definitely bump him up after hearing that one. Someone I, I do love and I, I do like the landing spot a lot too is Michael Pittman. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Frank Reich who coached Vincent Jackson came right out and compared those two. Yeah, uh, they obviously had a bunch of monster seasons together in San Diego, which also was alongside Philip Rivers now with the Colts. So I mean, man, that would be awesome if Michael Pittman just becomes a Vincent Jackson style player. Do you think that's a fair comparison? And, and what do you think he does in the short and long term there in, in, uh, in Indianapolis there? <laughs> well, uh, Vincent Jackson had a hell of a career. So yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, don't, you, you don't necessarily want to just be like, oh, he's for sure going to be Vincent Jackson. But in terms of the vision that they have for him, this makes complete sense. We talked mm-hmm. before about uh, having a blueprint for guys to start right away. Hmm. T.Y. Hilton's going to be the field stretcher. He's going to be the speed guy. Paris Campbell's going to be the quick hit player. Michael Pittman's going to be on the outside. You know, like he's going to be the big body. He's going to be the short yardage guy. He's going to be the red zone player. When they need something, they're just going to want to throw it up to Michael Pittman. They're going to make it happen. For the longest time now, T.Y. Hilton has been without a consistent complimentary player. It's just been T.Y. really carrying that offense. And, oh, I can't remember the win-loss stat that somebody was saying last year, like, with T.Y. Hilton on the field there, this record, and without T.Y. Hilton, mm. it's like they like they hadn't won a game without T.Y. Hilton <laughs> since he got to the cold, which is wild. But there is just there is there is such an easy plug-and-play, this-is-how-you-use-him vision for Michael Pittman Jr., so I think that that's what makes a lot of sense for him. He is he's got that Vincent Jackson mold. You know, he he's yeah. more athletic than you would think for a big-body player, but he's strong. He can play on the outside. He can deal with press. He's he's valuable in the money downs. And so when I look at this cold step chart, you don't want to say like, oh, he'll for sure be Vincent Jackson. But that's absolutely how they're going to use him. Very intriguing. Definitely. Again, that usage and he ends up thriving with that type of role. It, it could be monster numbers just from year one. So right. I love it. I, lo- I love that comparison and the, the way they're going to try to use him. Let's see if he's up to it, especially as a rookie in the season. That That'd be great. And the last guy, I know you've written about him a lot on the draftnetwork.com. Mm-hmm. I loved reading about him. KJ Hamler, you know, right at, as you, you already kind of talked, they're stacking this offense with everything they need around Drew Locke. Even after they go Jerry Judy round one, they still go him in the next round two. So, you know, what's he kind of bringing to the table? What's their vision for him? And how do you think he'll end up performing in that role? Speed, man. Yeah. And the way he runs his routes the way he can put his foot in the ground and just boom, like change direction and immediately accelerate to four, three flat speed is Mm -hmm. incredible. I threw on my first game of KJ Hamler. I think it was Ohio state was the very first game that I watched and you could just tell this kid was different. There was a slant route against Sean Wade who Sean Wade will be a first round cornerback in the 2021 NFL draft. I, I believe that where he put his foot on the ground and he smoked Sean Wade for 96 yards for a touchdown. And it's just like, that's what we're talking about here. So many times when I watched KJ Hamler film throughout the season, he's lined up in the slot off the line of scrimmage. So he doesn't have to deal with press because he's tiny, but you're watching and you're seeing because the defense knows that Hamler's going to line up one or two yards behind the line of scrimmage and they can't, they can't get their hands on him. Instead, the only way that they have, a prayer of containing him is if they're playing like eight yards back. If they, if they give themselves an eight yard cushion hmm. on this guy, because he will eat it up very quickly. And then he's going to have them turned around, flip their hips the wrong way. And he's just going to make things happen. <laughs> Biggest thing for KJ Hamler is getting his hands consistent. He can't have hmm. the drops that he had in college. And that including like comes through catching through contact as well as the focus drops. Like they have got to improve there. The Denver fit is interesting because it just depends what they want to do with Jerry Judy, because I think Judy would be a very successful two-way player if you use him in the slot a lot. Mm -hmm. That's really the only place you can use Hamler, if you ask me. Like, Hamler can't be a pseudo-outside receiver guy that you use versatile and you put him out to the line of scrimmage. He's just, I I just don't think that he's really best there unless you're just straight running a nine route with him and telling you, hey, beat the guy on the outside. Mm -hmm. So Judy can play on the outside. It just brings up a very... Uh, I, I just wonder how high they are on Hamler. Like, did this team draft Hamler and we're like, we are playing this guy right away. Like, this guy is going to be the vision that we had of Deshaun Hamilton. We're putting this guy in the slot right away, and he's going to make things happen. Because if they do, then you're going to get Jerry Judy more as an outside receiver, which isn't a bad thing. He can handle it. Mm-hmm. It's just not as advantageous as maybe him really being able to cook slot defenders with two-way goes. 
I just wonder how high they are on Hamler. That's what I think of him. You can see the clear speed. He plays at a different level. He's at a different gear than so many other guys in college football. The hands have got to get better, but in terms of the route running, how he's able to really smoke people, that's where he wins. Oh man, that that just like the vision of you know two beasts on the outside, and then Hamler with that speed with a slot yeah, corner man. on him is just like ooh, that that's got that got to get excited there. I absolutely love that. Um, and again, Drew Locke, how high is he going to take him? It could be one of those offenses that just becomes a, a monster if Locke is up to the task. We've mm-hmm. now covered uh, nine of these, again, record 13 wide receivers to go in the first two rounds. So we're not going to have time to hit every single one. But I'm just going to quickly lay out kind of the cases I've seen for the other ones. And, and then if there's one or two that you're like, yeah, I got I got to respond to it, then, then yeah. feel free. Uh, sure. One of them would be Denzel Mims. You know, no team vacated more air yards than the Jets. 2031 right there air yard percents was over half so there's certainly a ton of volume up for grabs we got a guy that's 6'3 4'3 so he could help fill that void you mentioned Chase Claypool you you know the Steelers have a pretty solid track record of identifying these wide receivers another absolute specimen 6'4 4'4 240 40 and a half inch vertical I mean just an athletic freak by a team that tends to out you know figure out how to use those guys the best you got T Higgins you mentioned was also in your top 10 wide receivers he was the highest draft capital there I mean it's a bit congested you got AJ Green Tyler Boyd Auden Tate but still you know if they go out and get him at 33 overall they clearly have something in mind for him and the last one taken was Van Jefferson on a, a Sean McVay offense that has been one of the more lethal passing attacks even though they took a little step back last year they also lose Brandon Cooks he's certainly got some quality route running some good footwork so you know four intriguing guys is there one of yeah. those guys that stands out the most to you well, I'll just hit I, – I can hit on all four of them real quick. Certainly Denzel oh, yeah. Mims, it, he's in a situation where he's going to become Sam Donald's best friend, right? He has to be. If they're going to figure things out, they've got to be able to get it going really quick. Uh, situation for him to succeed early, I mean, it couldn't be any better right now for Denzel Mims. You talked about the wide receivers that they're losing. Chase Claypool, uh, we mentioned earlier, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster, they were able to utilize him the best when they could use him as a flanker, have him in motion behind the line of scrimmage, use him in the slot, things like that. Chase Claypool allows them to have that opportunity because he could play as an X, but the plus that he's giving you as an X is he's a freak athlete. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So it's like it's not just like they're sticking Chase Claypool out there because he's 6'4. I mean, this guy runs a 4'2440. He's got a 40-inch vert. And so mm-hmm. it's wild the advantage that you have with playing Chase Claypool as an X. I think it's a double positive for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Higgins mentioned this before. You talked about the uh, crowded room as of right now. They know they're losing AJ Green. They know mm-hmm. that this is the last year that A.J. Green is going to be a Cincinnati Bengal. That's the role. They're going to have him learn behind A.J. Green. They're going to have him train to run those kinds of routes. He's going to be the next guy in for an A.J. Green kind of player. And I think that uh, moving forward, you're going to see it be T. Higgins, Auden Tate, and then Tyler Boyd from 2021 on. But mm-hmm. that's what I think of that situation. Van Jefferson, man, we saw what uh, we, we saw what Sean McVay was able to do with Cooper Cup and, and just how he was able to place him as as one of the best slot receivers in the NFL. Now, Ben Jefferson will cook you with his routes. Like he is a route running technician. And I think that Sean McVay really loves these kinds of players because I've never been as high on Jared Goff individually as what it seems like a lot of other people are. Even when the Rams went to the Super Bowl, like I've always thought Jared Goff has been orchestrated by Sean McVay to succeed. Like I don't, I don't think Jared Goff could succeed outside of not like no coach can use him but i the reason why he has had nearly as much success as he has is because of sean mcveigh i fully believe that van jefferson is another kind of player which mcveigh can scheme up to create manufactured separation that makes goff's job easier which i think is really really important because if you don't do that I think you've got a really limited quarterback. And so I think that they're going to utilize Van Jefferson a lot because they know that they have to because of the guy who's throwing them the ball. Now, with that all said, mix that up. Have Sean McVay be the chef of it. You can have a pretty good offense. And I think that I think Jefferson could have a really good rookie year because he is pro ready right now to do what he needs to do. Very intriguing takes on all those guys. And just got to mention, too, you know, T. Higgins is the heir apparent, but... You know, A.J. Green has also missed all of last year, only played nine games the year before. 
if this guy is on the back nine and takes an injury, you know, maybe T. Higgins does have that kind of yeah, second right. half explosion. So even still worth a stash, and, and depending on how deep the benches are. The last one I have for you, and I, I think I know your answer based on the rankings you gave earlier, uh, but... Is there a guy who didn't go in those first two rounds that you could see being kind of like the next Terry McLaurin where he, he fell but then ends up still being kind of a monster despite oh. other guys having the draft pedigree? And I remember there's a name I heard on that list of the top 10. Uh, is yeah. that your answer? <laughs> yeah, Brian Edwards, yeah. wide receiver out of South Carolina. He was the first pick in the third round. So this is kind of, this isn't exactly going on a bold prediction. I'll tell you, if he was able to work out at the combine, I mean, he, he'd have been a, he'd have been a, top two round pick no matter what mm. he broke records at South Carolina I think for the most consecutive catches I mean he was a stud under crap quarterback play <laughs> man and he is a true outside receiver that gives you plus abilities everywhere like he is a guy who can handle press coverage he's six foot three 225 pounds he's got way more athleticism than you would think and he would have shown that off at the combine and he if, if Brian Edwards could have worked out of the combine, I think he suffered a foot injury. That's why he couldn't do anything. He couldn't do that or couldn't work out at a pro day. Well, COVID-19 ruined all pro days anyway. Yeah. So I think that if he was able to work out of the combine, he would be way more on people's radar as, as like, a, hey, I really like this guy. Watch out for this guy. Basically, this exact question of these sleepers, everyone's answer would be Brian Edwards if, people, if he could have worked out of the combine because I think that he brings so much more athleticism that people expect for his size. He's a guy who can play as a true X. He can play off the line of scrimmage as well. He's a slot mismatch. He kind of like that big slot mismatch kind of player. And again, you know, he made chicken salad out of chicken poop, if you will, from uh, from South Carolina's quarterbacks over the last couple of years. And so I'm a big Brian Edwards fan. I think that he's going to have a really nice career. Make sure to take his name down, folks. Brian Edwards, absolutely. Uh, we got a couple minutes here left. You ready to run through the quick no-huddle offense that we do yes. with all the fantasy wolves we have on? Yes, Let's do yes. it. I'm, I'm ready for this. Awesome. So, again, it, it works out that it's a gut reaction. Whoever comes to mind as I do it, just kind of fill in the blank because I know you'd play a bunch of fantasy. So I'm excited to hear your takes on this. Okay. Number one, after McCaffrey, the number two player in draft should be? It's got to be Saquon. It's got to be Saquon Barkley. I that one's too it. easy. I got I to gotta rewrite that one. Everybody says Saquon. <laughs> too easy. Uh, the next Dalvin Cook or round two running back who ends up going top five in 2021 will be? Uh, it depends where he goes because I've seen some ADPs where Joe Mixon is like 11, 12, 13. And so, again, like that's a little bit cheating because if, nah. if he goes in the second round, I think that your league's trash. Uh, but <laughs> it, uh, the other name, Clyde Edwards-Elair. Is the other one. And he is he's a guy who I'll answer with a different question uh, later on these, but uh, Clyde Edwards Lair would be another one. Looking forward to it. Do you have a favorite fantasy team name that you've either had or seen before? Okay, so um, one of my friends has done Redhead Redemption because I believe Andy Dalton was their quarterback. <laughs> so that's a great one. But the best one that I've ever seen is <laughs> someone saying, one carry on like carry on Johnson it's one carry on one personal item like when you go through the airport <laughs> that's I that, would that's like fantastic. that's the best one I've ever seen that's incredible I gotta steal that one that one is unbelievable there <laughs> one carry on that that is great uh, who do you think the next Chris Godwin kind of round four or five receiver who then explodes into the elite will be okay uh Again, this is all like subjective depending on like how your drafts go. So I just went off some average draft position ones that I was seeing. I think Marquise Brown's a candidate here because I mm. watched him bulk up this year to really handle contact better. He's up to like 180, 185, and he looks solid. He's been putting in a lot of work this offseason. And the guy other than uh, Marquise Brown, I would say, is Will Fuller. It's a huge year for Will Fuller, right? I mean, if, if Will Fuller is healthy with no DeAndre Hopkins there, it's I mean, like the hmm. world is his oyster, right? I mean, like he could absolutely be one of the top five tight ends in 2020 if he stays healthy. A hundred percent. Who do you think 2020's Mark Andrews or breakout tight end will be? I'll say Johnny Smith. I just did an article about Johnny Smith. I think the Tennessee Titans love him. He's got clear pathway to be in their tight end one. He's a versatile player you can use in the backfield. You can use him as a, as a wing guy. You could use him on the line. Tennessee's big fans of him, and um, 
Oh, who just who's the tight end who just left? I Delaney uh, Walker. Yes, yeah. Delaney Walker now no longer in the picture at all. Johnny Smith was kind of starting to take over uh, mm-hmm. during last season, but now it's all Johnny Smith. So we'll see what he could really do. Do you have a most hated NFL player for a fantasy specific reason? <laughs> I I feel bad. It's it's one hundred percent either Tyler Eifert or Jordan Reed, just because I continue <laughs> to draft them every year. And I feel so bad for them because it's not their fault that they're hurt. But like <laughs> I drafted these guys and in my mind, I was like, if I just get Tyler Eifert back, if I just get Jordan Reed back, I'm going to make the playoff push. Everything's going to be good. And it like never happened. Yeah. So I, I don't want to say hate it, but those are the guys who have definitely let me down the most. If there was somehow another Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes, it would be. Or, so are you saying like. Like guys who like rise up the ranks to just like dominate fantasy. Yeah, uh, exactly. Like a breakout QB that just dominates and, and is a cheat code. Um, so I got two answers. One, if we get the Matthew Stafford that we had at the beginning of last year for the full season, I mean, he's going to carry teams, no doubt yeah. about it. He was he was the best quarterback in the NFL uh, through the month of November. I mean, he pushed the ball at an unreal rate. And then the other one is Carson Wentz, like we talked about before mm-hmm. with the Eagles. If that offense stays fully healthy, they're I mean, why not believe that Carson Wentz can't have some sort of a near MVP type of season with the offense around him? Love both guys there. Do you have an early rounder, first or second round, that you think is going to bust the hardest? Um, oh, man, I'm going to catch crap for this. <laughs> I, would say, I would say Michael Thomas because I know that Michael Thomas is getting drafted sometimes in the top five, in the top seven. Look, man. They've got Sanders now, who's the best wide receiver, too, they've ever had. And I went over Jared Cook's film last year. That Mm. dude's good. Okay, like he is good. And it is nothing against Michael Thomas's. And so it's, it's almost weird to say a bust. I just don't think he's going to be that guaranteed target dominator and like 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 20 points every single game like he was last year, because there's so much better talent around it. They really didn't even utilize Jared Cook until the last six eight games of the season and now they throw in emmanuel sanders in that mix and so i'll say uh michael thomas won't be worth the draft spot if you got to draft them that early and i gotta just say that that jared cook article is absolutely fantastic anyone who has any doubts about jared cook He's make cool, sure you yeah. check out the draft network because it is a fantastic piece and he don't I mean, he tight in three for that stretch that you just said so yeah. I, i'm all about that one as well um what about who do you think gained kind of the most fantasy value during this 2020 offseason Oh, Austin Eckler. Mm-hmm. No, like no doubt about it. No, them moving on from Melvin Gordon, them giving Austin Eckler the big deal. And uh, apparently, if you haven't seen the pictures yet, Holy you know, him shit. turning into an absolute superhero body. Uh, <laughs> the dudes, there's nobody uh, who I think has, has gained as much fantasy value as that guy has, especially because he's a PPR monster, you know? Right. It's kind of shades of that Christian McCaffrey year where he was still kind of round two, got fucking like huge. Yeah. And now, you know, yes. it could be. I mean, he's got that skill set. Not Christian yeah. McCaffrey, but I mean, maybe damn close. Uh, conversely, who do you think lost the most fantasy value? Uh, Thomas. Michael Thomas. I'll just mm-hmm. say that again. I, just because the amount of just fantasy value that Michael Thomas has had over the last couple of years, I think has been crazy. I'm tempted to see what DeAndre Hopkins fantasy value is now, because now he's in a room with, I mean, I still think he's going to get a ton of shares, but Larry Fitzgerald's still on the team. I know they're still trying to work in Christian Kirk. There's Danny mm-hmm. Isabella. There's uh, or Andy Isabella. There's other wide receivers on that team that they could be mixing in. And so I'm just interested to see what it's like because, you know, before he was just getting force fed by Deshaun Watson all the time. Right. And so, uh, Michael Thomas for sure. Interested to see what happens with DeAndre Hopkins. Although I still think I want to make every, I want to make this clear. Those dudes are ballers. Like they're yeah. great talents, but uh, the amount of fantasy points they've been able to put up over the last couple of years. Uh, you won't leave those middle rounds, kind of five through six, seven, without getting which player. Um, you brought him up earlier in the podcast, and according to the average draft position that I looked up. If Jonathan Taylor is there, like I'm picking mm. Jonathan Taylor. Absolutely. The other two that I thought of because I saw them around that same neighborhood, Odell. I'm going to pick up Odell uh, if he is still there. I have no idea. And then I, I saw Gronkowski's name down in that range. And like, look, man, I understand that he didn't play football last year, but Brady is his quarterback again. He's <laughs> going to score touchdowns like that's the way that it's going to be. And so I, it's a super crowded room, but I'm taking my chance on on Brady continuing to feed Gronk in the end zone. 
Love it. Do you ever play the board game Settlers of Catan? Yes, I do. Now, yes, I, you're the first I, one out of like 20, by the way. But yes, I keep got, going. I, I got into <laughs> Settlers of Catan like four or five years ago. So I actually have not played it in, boy, probably like two to three years. I know everybody's into it now. Like it's a it, it's a phone game, right? Like everybody right. can play with other people on their phone. I actually haven't played the phone version, but I was I was known. I'm infamous among my friend group as hoarding sheep. I'm just like a sheep, a shepherd, over and I like I mono- I make a monopoly out of the sheep market. I make everybody come through me if they want any sheep. So that's how I place Settlers of Catan. I love it. The, the shepherd Sikama over there. That's fantastic. Yeah, there I love it. Uh, who do you think the next sophomore wide receiver after or even before AJ Brown should be in fantasy drafts? I tell you, it's Marquise Brown again because of what we touched wow. on earlier. You know, the body transformation. Lamar Jackson seems to be talking him up big time. He's going to continue to hit him deep, and we know that he's going to be a dynamic weapon for him. If if he can handle handle physicality more, maybe they'll shorten up the route tree with him. You know, maybe they'll give him stuff over the middle all the time and things like that. And so, I really think that there's a chance for him to shine. Love it. Do you prefer target hogs or workhorse backs? Uh, target hogs. Um, uh, I'm, I'm always looking for the latest target share. Obviously, workhorse backs, if you can find one, they're going to they're gonna be a steady eddy for your team. And every championship team, I feel like, needs some, uh, some, some at least one workhorse back. But I'm definitely looking at targets more I am carries. Alvin Kamara, James Conner, Austin Eckler were all top five running backs in the last three years that went after round seven. Who do you think that'll be in 2019? All right, I've got two bold ones that I'll go with. If if Zach Moss is healthy, I mm. feel like he is what Buffalo wants in a running back. And I think that any time that they get within the five-yard line, it's just going to be all Zach Moss. He's got great balance through contact. He's a great short yardage guy. He'll give you some plus athleticism and some burst in mm. that as well. The other guy's Matt Breida, who I really like. He goes to a situation in Miami where they have the chance to utilize him a lot as a pass catcher, uh, as a running back out of the backfield, potentially as a guy that they swing out to maybe a receiver position. I don't know. I just know that Matt Breed has got a lot of speed and he's got a lot of versatility. So I'll go out on a limb with those two names. Do you have any ideal league settings that you follow? So I'll just share this. I'm in a dynasty. I'm in a hybrid dynasty league right now, which has been a lot of fun. It's a 12 person league for, Four years ago, five years ago, we did like an inaugural draft where everybody was in the pool and we all drafted everybody. But the rules of the league are you keep three players every year. So it's Mm. not quite like a it's not like a full keeper. And it's also not like a like a one person keeper. You keep three. Two of them can be anybody you want. Any position doesn't matter. One of them has to be a rookie. Mm. So a rookie from the previous season. And so it's really cool because You get to keep that team identity that you often go with, but you only keeping three guys still means the redraft is cool and you like that. And then obviously like the rookie aspect of it, it it really like focuses on you having a a rookie on your roster and you betting on a rookie and maybe drafting one early in the redraft. And so that's a fun little thing that we've been doing the last couple of years. I really enjoy it. I love that idea. That's fantastic for all the reasons you said. After Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams, owners should draft who at wide receiver? Oh, Julio Jones. I, I'm drafted Julio <laughs> Jones almost before any of them. Julio mm. is going to dominate, man. He's They're going to force feed that man the ball. I know he's got a narrative of like, oh, you know, like he doesn't really score touchdowns. That's Julio's thing. Look, if Dan Quinn and general manager Thomas Dimitrov don't win this year, they are out. They're gone. They're going to look at Julio Jones and say, we are running every single thing that we do through you. They've got no Austin Hooper. Their running back room is, uh, you know, who knows at this point, the offensive line's still coming together. If Matt Ryan wants to survive past this year with the staff that he has, they better just be throwing that bad boy up to Julio Jones. And I'd be taking Julio Jones wide receiver one, honestly. Wow. Love it. Love that. Uh, Blake was the most important coaching move for fantasy, specifically for which guy's value. Okay, this one is interesting. I I peeked at this question when you sent it to me. I like Joe Brady going to Carolina Mm -hmm. for DJ Moore and for Curtis Samuel. And the reason I I think Curtis Samuel, I guess, more because, you know, people at LSU, they they remember the big shots, right? Joe Burrow chugging it deep down the field, them being so dynamic, them scoring in two seconds. 
but it was really the intricacies of how they put stress on a defense with the RPO game that really is how LSU was able to create those deep shots. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, combining an RPO with a little a little, uh, little slant route from the slot that really put stress on the linebacker or the safety that was coming down, Joe Brady knew all that from LSU. And so in order for Brady to really succeed early on as a rookie rookie offensive coordinator, he's going to have to utilize that a lot. And so I, I think that those short yardage players are actually going to be at a premium in Joe Brady's offense. I really like him for both DJ Moore and for Curtis Samuel. Love it. Do running backs matter? Last three here. <laughs> <laughs> um, running backs do matter. You just need to be careful how much you are paying them in second contracts. That's all mm. I would say. Yeah, I think that running backs definitely do matter. Running backs obviously matter a shit ton for fantasy. But yeah, uh, yeah I would say that it is it is often more advantageous for you to pick up a, a new running back every four years instead of paying them a higher price just because you know you can get good ones in the second and third round. And you know if you're getting good ones in that round, you're not paying them a lot of money for the mm-hmm. next couple of years. You can use your cap space elsewhere for pass catchers or tight ends, offensive linemen, pass rushers, things like that. What is the funniest last place punishment or side bet that you've either witnessed or unfortunately been a part of? Oh, uh, I haven't... I haven't been... part of anyone's that are too cruel the ones that are the most cruel i always feel like are the relegation ones like people love to have that relegation format where let's say you're in a league of 10 people but really you wanted to get more friends involved you didn't want 14 you didn't want 16 because that's too big of a league you strap four other people on there Mm. and you have two leagues of 10 right and the top two and like the person who wins the bottom league and the person who finishes last place in the top league switch places and you get relegated. Mm. If I get relegated in any league, <laughs> I'm quitting. I'm not playing a year of fantasy football for nothing. I'm yeah. not doing it. No, absolutely. <laughs> like you could find somebody new to play in the league. I'm absolutely not doing that. And then like to that point, God, I'm trying to remember what the format is. But basically the story of it was the whole league – for the draft shows up there's i think i think the way that this was put up is there are 13 people in the league Mm. but it's a 12-man league so one person doesn't play every single year and the person who picks who isn't playing is the person who won the league the previous season and they choose the story that i heard they choose that person on draft night so they'll show up at like a buffalo wild wings all 13 of them and you don't know if you're not about to like you're not about to draft like you're not about to be in the league for the year and then the 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 person who won the league the previous year literally selects somebody that night to not be in the league anymore for a full season i'm gonna have nightmares all weekend just of that situation unfolding that is as cruel as can be on the draft night too yeah oh that is that's probably the most painful thing i've ever heard uh and the last one here and you kind of previewed it so i cannot wait to hear this your Mm -hmm. boldest 2020 fantasy prediction and then just remind our listeners where they can connect and kind of find your work uh boldest fantasy prediction is that clyde edwards elair will be a top five fantasy running back in 2020 this Mm. guy i think is going to be a star his hands are fantastic he gives all his effort in blocking you never have to take him off the field for those two reasons he's already got great vision he's a shifty runner he can give you those dynamic runs i think that he's going to be completely durable due to how he's built i think he's perfect you put him in that chief's offense uh, it's going to be so hard to stop them i think that he is going to be a top five back in all fantasy football in 2020 you find him my work over at thedraftnetwork.com on Twitter, doing all kinds of tomfoolery at Tampa Bay Trey. Yeah, man, again, it's always a pleasure being with you. Really enjoyed this podcast. A hundred percent. And for the record, too, I just moved Clyde Edwards Hilaire uh, just the night before above Alvin Kamara to running back five in my rankings. So Ooh, I'm a thousand, thousand percent in agreement, man. But yes, it's so much, always a blast to have you on. Thank you so much for the time today, Trevor. We really appreciate it. Have a great rest of your weekend, brother. Of course, man, you too. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, 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 oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show. 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 Straight ahead.
old-fashioned football right there, folks.